All right, the long-awaited part two, where we get into the theories, investigation, craziness of Tom Thompson. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's going to get wild. It's going to be fun. It's going to be crazy. We're going to talk about a lot of really cool theories. And then we're going to wrap it all up. Bring it back to his birth chart. Talk about all of the aspects that we had originally discussed. Fill in any blanks. Do tons of our own speculating. And once again, of course, I have Steph here. Hello again. She's been here. I mean, this is part two, right? She's just been on my sofa for a few days now. <laughs> just just chilling. Moved on in until we recorded this. Another day, another dollar. <laughs> and with that, I mean, why make the people wait? Let's get into it. Let's just get right in. So I'll do just a little brief recap here. So Tom Thompson's body had washed up. He had just mysteriously disappeared. They found his canoe that same day in the afternoon. Eight days later, his body washed up on shore. There wasn't any sort of police investigation, no formal inquest, no autopsy, nothing like that. His brother George came back, claimed the body. The undertaker reinterred it in Owen Sound, where Tom grew up. And since there wasn't any of these formal investigations... People in Canoe Lake and Algonquin Park were speculating, like, what the hell happened to him? He was a proficient canoeist. He was an excellent swimmer. How could he accidentally drown? And those rumors began swirling about if he was murdered, did he commit suicide? And then was it at the hands of a local? Did one of their own murder him? And that's where we're going to dive right in to the theories for Tom Thompson's death. Number one theory. Accident. He died accidentally. There is an author named David Silcox. He wrote a book called The Group of Seven and Tom Thompson. And in this book, he argued that Tom, having sprained his ankle, had wrapped fishing line around it for support. And when he attempted to urinate while in the canoe, he slipped when his ankle gave way and his head. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to laugh here. His head hit the gunnel and knocked himself out before going overboard. Which would explain why he drowned and didn't use his excellent swimming skills, because he was knocked out and incapacitated, I guess. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Um, Many, though, found this conclusion hard to swallow. Plus, no one had ever mentioned that Tom had hurt his ankle. And why would you wrap fishing line around it, of all things? That's not comfortable or... I don't know. That just sounds weird to me. It is bizarre. And also the speculation of like he wrapped because he hurt his ankle. Number one, no one ever said anything like that happened. And there wasn't any sort of autopsy or formal inquest. So like that's not information you were It should be confirmed to. if that's your theory or or your 
you know, if that's it the, should be confirmed. Yeah, if that's the hill you're going to die on, yeah. you should have a lot more evidence to back it up. So that's bizarre on its own. No one ever confirmed that his ankle was sprained or hurt in any way. The wrapping of the fishing line, odd choice. When you're a proficient canoeist, you spend all of your time in this canoe. We know it was loaded up based on the quote from last episode where he, he took materials, equipment, everything with him. You chose fishing line to support your ankle. And then why I was laughing is because why was it that he decided to pee? He decided to pee and then he slipped and knocked himself out on the gunnel. Yeah, all theories. Like he, why? Of anything that could have happened, why was it that he was peeing? He could have been doing anything. It's just bizarre. Was he pulling his pants down? Like, was that his idea? Maybe, but like, I mean, I don't think anyone ever mentioned the eight days later finding his body and being like, Tom Thompson's dink Looks was like out. he had, was undoing a zipper. <laughs> Yo, this guy's flies open. What was happening here? Seems suspicious. <laughs> so Tom's friend, A.Y. Jackson, wrote in a letter to a friend that he thought Tom's family was too comfortable with the accidental drowning theory and too dismissive about the potential of his death involving foul play. He thinks there should have been a police investigation or at least some sort of inquest because Tom's death could have been the result of many things, even something as simple as a heart attack, but no one took the time to find out. So even if we're going on the theory that it was an accidental drowning, it could have been for a number of reasons. Like A.Y. Jackson says here, maybe he had a heart attack, a stroke, uh, literally a straight up slip and fall. Or if we're going off David Silcox, he was peeing and fell. But like, you didn't investigate it at all. So how did you conclude that? Yes. So why did you so quickly and comfortably come to the determination that it was an accidental drowning? And then in regards to the fishing line, how he, when he washed up on shore eight days later and he had the fishing line wrapped around his legs, some people speculate that it isn't significant at all. It doesn't matter that he had fishing line wrapped around his legs because apparently some fishermen fasten their lines to their foot or around one knee as they use both hands while trolling, and he got tangled up as a result of wave action. So maybe he was in his canoe, and the way that he situates himself when he's fishing, a wave came and pushed him over and further tangled him. So that's some people's theory as to why you don't fixate on the, the fishing line being wrapped around his legs. Which, I mean, fine, but again... It's speculation. I and wish I knew more about fishing back then and how it works, what what the rods were like or like mm-hmm. what they used and if that's a normal thing to do. And even, and even then, though, it is still so bizarre. Because Why would if you? you are, if you are lost in the lake for eight days, you finally wash up and you had situated yourself in a way in your canoe where you're fishing and you happen to just kind of loosely put it around your foot or your knee as like a leverage or placeholder way. How are you floating in the water for eight days and it's still, you're still so entangled in it? Like that part is totally bizarre as well. In the aftermath too, something could have happened there. Yeah. or And like, they just don't really know how it got there. Exactly. And there's no way to know that it was even his. No. Like, 
maybe some weird shit happened when he was in the water. He hit like a little whirlpool or something and there was other fishing line in well, it. Like there's, there's tons, no way. yeah, and it got wrapped around him somehow. Or there wasn't there wasn't even a formal investigation into mm-hmm. it, autopsy, nothing. Evidence wasn't collected. Who knows whose eyewitness reports this was? Was there even fishing line wrapped around his legs? Like it's so it's all so speculative, which is again like we're just in to the theories, the fun part, the speculation of it. But it is all so bizarre. So that was the accidental death theory. Now we go into suicide. People think suicide is a possibility because he was often melancholic, isolated, self-deprecating, and expressed the feeling that he was of no importance as a painter. He was also open about hating war, and some people have speculated that he was in Algonquin Park to avoid military service. He was also feeling pressure to marry Winnie. All of these factors weighed heavily on Tom, and he took his own life. So it's kind of a cut and dry theory. He was depressed. Tourism was bad in Algonquin. His art wasn't taking off the way he wanted it to. They got a girl who is waiting and wanting to marry him, and he's, for whatever reason, has his own reserves, hesitations, whatever. So pretty cut and dry. But... James McCallum, his longtime friend and patron, told A.Y. Jackson it was widely believed at the time of the informal inquest that he died by suicide, but his death was ruled an accidental drowning to make it easier for Tom's family. So people in the area who were familiar with Tom were like, yo, the guy was emo as hell. Of course he killed himself. But they didn't want to tell the family in a time, it's 1917, their family was religious. They didn't want to tell them your son killed himself because of the, the stigma and the fact that they were religious people. You're going to tell them that their son took his own life? So they were like, let's make it easier. It was an accidental drowning. It'll be easier for them to accept, to respect but even McCallum didn't believe that. He knew that everyone believed it was a suicide, but settled on the accidental drowning theory. But he didn't think that at all because he had received a letter from Tom written the day before Tom's death. And Tom was really cheerful and he was looking forward to painting. And in this letter, he had written to McCallum, quote, I'm still around Fraser's and have not done any sketching since the flies started. The weather has been wet and cold all spring, and the flies and mosquitoes much worse than I have ever seen any year before, and fly dope doesn't have any effect on them. This, however, is the second warm day we have had this year, and another day or so like this will finish them. We'll send my winter sketches down in a day or two, and have every intention of making some more when it has been impossible lately. Have done a great deal of paddling this spring, and the fishing has been fine. Have done some guiding for fishing parties, and we'll have some other trips this month and next, with probably some sketching in between, end quote. So it was like any other year that he'd gone to Algonquin. He had a few fishing parties he took out. He was planning to do a sketching, 
which is what he did when he was up there. He would sketch. And then when he would come back home to Toronto, he would paint his sketches. So he was just in a normal, the normal mindset he was always in when he was up there. So McCallum had a very hard time believing that he committed suicide. Now we get into the more scandalous theories. So we have a theory here that Tom Thompson didn't die by accident. He didn't commit suicide. He was murdered. And he was murdered by a man named Martin Bletcher. Hmm. So in his 1970 book, The Tom Thompson Mystery, Judge William Little built a complicated case against Martin Bletcher, an American who had a cottage at Canoe Lake and who was said to have argued violently with Tom over the war at a party the night before the artist went missing. Their altercation reached a peak when Tom accused the other man of being a deserter from the American army. From this theory, the only thing that's certain is that there was a party at a guide's cabin near Mowat Lodge on the night of July 7, 1917, so the day before he had disappeared. There's a, another theory that he was murdered, but this time this theory is by, he was murdered by Shannon Fraser. So Shannon Fraser is the proprietor of the Moet Lodge, where Tom Thompson has been employed and, and stayed at each time he's gone to Algonquin. So Shannon Fraser and Annie Fraser are the owners of this lodge. And in a 1977 Toronto Star article, Roy McGregor suggested that Tom was murdered by Shannon Fraser and that his wife, Annie, told the story to friends. McGregor expanded on this theory in his 2010 book called Northern Light, The Enduring Mystery of Tom Thompson and the Woman Who Loved Him. In an interview on the agenda called Roy McGregor, The Tom Thompson Mystery, he discussed this theory and stories told from two key eyewitnesses, Daphne Crombie and Annie Fraser. So if you'll remember, Daphne Crombie was the wife of the lieutenant, who was the only other two guests at the lodge during, the, during 1917 and Tom's last year alive and visiting in Algonquin. And so this Roy McGregor guy, I'll talk just briefly about him. He, in this, in this interview he did on The Agenda, which is like, uh, it's a Canadian TVO show. And he said that his, he's named after his great uncle. And his great uncle was married to Marie Trainer, And Marie's sister was Winifred Trainer. So the, go- the girl that Tom Thompson was engaged to. And Roy noticed that, Win- that Winifred wasn't mentioned in early books and biographies about Tom. And there's no mention of her until the 1960s. And additionally, the photos of the supposed Winifred used in these books weren't even photos of her. So he wrote articles and eventually published a book to correct all of this misinformation. That's very odd. It is incredibly odd. And so this guy is a relative of the supposed fiancé of Tom Thompson. I wonder if... um. 
it was people tried to cover it up who she is. Is that a possibility? I don't think that it was a matter of trying to cover it up. I think that Tom himself was so private that he didn't share this with anybody. He didn't really share his, you know, like essentially spring to fall girlfriend with anybody. He didn't write about her mm-hmm. to his family. He didn't talk about it to his about her to his friends. He was so aloof and non-committal. Daphne said Annie Fraser loved to gossip and she confided in Daphne while they were out walking one day. Annie said she'd been snooping in Tom's room and found a letter from Winifred Trainer that told Tom he had to buy a new suit so when she came to visit him the following week, they could follow through with their plans for marriage. There's speculation that Winnie was pushing for marriage because A, she was pregnant, or B, she was 32 and afraid of being a spinster. Annie also told Daphne that the letter advised Tom to get the money Shannon owed him. So because the lodge was hit so hard by the war and there were hardly any tourists, I think that this money that Winnie is talking about refers to the money that Tom was owed by Shannon for working as a fishing guide and helping out on the lodge. Daphne and her husband, who had recovered, were back in Toronto because remember they were at the lodge originally because her husband had tuberculosis and like back then the cure was like get fresh air (laughs) so apparently he recovered and they were back in Toronto when Tom died and they later returned to Canoe Lake which was verified by that park ranger Mark Robinson so park rangers have to keep like they call them diaries they're like logs of like so-and-so entered the park so-and-so left the park like it's their job to keep detailed records of who's in the area so the fact that Daphne and her husband returned to Canoe Lake was verified by his log and Annie again had something to tell Daphne she told Daphne about that party that had happened on July 7th and said that the men were drinking and Tom asked Shannon for the money Shannon was known to have a furious temper, and they got into a fight. Shannon hit Tom, Tom fell, and he hit his head on the fire grate. Shannon panicked, thinking that he had killed Tom when he hit him, so he hauled him out to one of the canoes. He paddled the short distance back to the Moat Lodge, and he docked, and then he woke up Annie to help lift Tom into Tom's own canoe and make it appear as if he had been going off fishing. Shannon then towed the canoe out beyond the first islands and dumped it, perhaps first tying a weight to his ankle, which could have been tied with fishing line, which might explain all of that fishing line that was found wrapped around his legs. Mm -hmm. It would have snapped off eventually, Mm -hmm. especially as like decomposition and bloating comes into effect. You will rise and it's fishing line like it's not meant to last. I don't think. So much eventually. Yeah. And with like with like rapids, whatever else is happening down there. So the main problem with this theory is that it contradicts the previously accepted accounts of the morning of Sunday, July 8th, when Shannon Fraser was allegedly seen with Tom 
by Mark Robinson, the park ranger. Mark Robinson claimed only to have seen Tom from a quarter mile distance and they didn't speak that day, but he did enter in his log that he saw Shannon and Tom together. Keep in mind that Daphne told this story after Shannon and Annie had passed away, so no one's ever heard their side of the story. And she came out with the story like years later. So obviously these are just theories. They're speculative, but nonetheless, very fascinating. Theories around Tom's death prevailed for years. People were upset that no police investigation was conducted and frustrated that they would never know what really happened to Tom. Speculating turned into rumor when stories started circulating that an undertaker never truly removed Tom's body from Canoe Lake. The family was notoriously tight-lipped about the subject, which added fuel to the fire. The family always refused to satisfy people's morbid curiosity that when they were repeatedly asked for proof that Tom's body was in fact moved and buried in Lake. Judge William Little, previously mentioned when discussing the theory that Tom was murdered by Martin Bletcher. He began to seriously explore the mystery surrounding Tom's death and conducted an unorthodox and controversial investigation which brought a bizarre twist to this story. The thing that always stuck with him the most was the lore that Tom was never removed from Canoe Lake and his remains were still in the Moat Cemetery. In October of 1956, William Little and his friend Jack Eastoff left for Algonquin Park. In their youth, they had spent time at a local camp and were familiar with the land. They headed toward Hayhurst Point and stopped to view the fieldstone cairn erected in Tom's memory. They moved on to a location where Moat Lodge used to stand before it burned down in the 20s and climbed the steep ascent to a large birch tree shading a small picket fence and closing the two graves at Moat Cemetery. It was getting late, but now that William and Jack knew exactly where the cemetery was, they agreed to return the next morning to see if Tom's grave still exists and whether his body was truly removed or not. During dinner that night, William and Jack were discussing their plans with two other men, Frank Brott and Leonard Gibby Gibson, who were very interested in their plan. Both men knew the Tom Thompson stories by heart and had always been captivated by them. They all agreed it was logical to begin investigating to the north of the two other graves in the cemetery. If they found no evidence of a rough box or a casket, then they would know that the official version was indeed a fact, that Tom's body was exhumed and sent back to Laith. If they did find a casket and body in the grave, where there should be none, they would prove that Tom's body was never moved from its original resting place at Canoe Lake, and the rumors were actually truth. They knew the only graves present for sure were that of a child, Alex Hayhurst, who died of diphtheria, and James Watson, a mill hand or lumberjack. Sources vary. The men left for the cemetery the next morning. After reviewing the terrain, they agreed to start digging in the area to the north side of the fence. The approximate distance 
they believed would be a normal separation from the grave of James Watson. They found nothing and figured they had been digging too close to the picket fence. They filled in the hole and started a new dig approximately four feet north of the first. Again, they found nothing and began filling in the hole. Jack stopped shoveling and walked off a short distance while the rest of the men continued filling the hole. Jack, who was standing beside a small spruce tree, called William over. He was pointing at a perceptible depression about two and a half feet across, projecting from under the spruce tree. Together they examined the depression and found its northern location lay in exact line with the two existing graves and their recent excavations. The group took turns digging, and as William reached the five-foot level, he removed a shovel full of dirt with a piece of wood in the soil. He handed it to the group, and Gibby said it was probably part of a root. William resumed digging and picked up another piece of wood. They concluded it was pine, and likely a mortise from the corner of a box, such as a casket or a rough box. One that shouldn't be there. William continued to dig and found a smooth piece of board. He pried it free from the soil, and a hollow space was revealed. He jumped out of the hole and handed over the piece of board, which was in an advanced state of decay, but readily recognizable as machine finished. Gibby jumped in to explore, reached his hand inside the hollow space, and pulled out a bone, which appeared to be human. That's crazy. The group was amazed. They actually found Tom Thompson's body and proved the rumors were true. He was never exhumed and sent back to Owen Sound. They dug out the spruce tree, opened up the grave until they saw the remains of the rough box, which had caved in upon an oak casket and the interior of the casket was filled with earth. In the soil at the end of the casket, there was a piece of a woolen sock. They saw parts of the casket lining and what they appeared to possibly be a cotton or light canvas shroud. They carefully covered the remains with a tarp and filled, filled in the grave to protect the contents, but took that bone that they had found with them for medical examination. Jack and William immediately sought the opinions of their longtime friend, Dr. Harry Ebbs. He was nearby spending the weekend at his log cabin with his wife. And... As friends, who'd always been steeped in the Thompson lure, it was a natural next step to ask for his opinion. He confirmed it was human. Jack asked if he could draw any conclusions from the bone, and Dr. Ebbs took the bone, matched it against his own leg, studied it, and stated it was most likely the left tibia of a male. They notified the authorities and agreed it wasn't appropriate to advise the press without proper authenticity. The OPP, which I guess if you're not from Ontario, the OPP is the Ontario Provincial Police. They sent a corporal to accompany Dr. Noble Sharp to exhume and eventually examine the human remains from the unmarked grave. So Dr. Noble Sharp got the remains he examined them, and here's what he concluded. One, the length of time the remains were buried was impossible to definitively determine, but it's possible they were buried anywhere from 10 to 40 years. So this is 1956, 10 to 40 years, lines up. 
with when Tom Thompson was buried. The bo- the the b- b- bones. <laughs> the b- 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 bones. <laughs> b- 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 bones and the jets. <laughs> the bones were identified as being male. The skull had a three-fourth inch hole on the left side. Professor Eric Linnell wow. of the Department of Neuropathology examined the hole and concluded it's in the position where trephining would be conducted. And what is that? <laughs> so trephination is a sur- oh. it's a surgical procedure where they didn't Jeffrey Dahmer do that? Uh, like, um, essentially, yes. But he would do it because he's sick. <laughs> yes. So there's a purpose for it. There is. And it would the only purpose for this procedure would be because you had some sort of head injury. So if you um, got like a concussion or some sort of hemorrhaging where you had brain swelling, they would do this trephination and carve a circular hole into your skull to relieve pressure or to remove liquid. That is wild. So. The thing here, though, is that it's like the instrument used makes a perfect circle. So it wasn't, an, you know, old decomposition, the bone had broken off and fallen away type thing. Or like um, a injury to the skull because of foul play in mm-hmm. life or something. It was a perfect hole. Wow. And, oh, there we go. Brings us to the next point. There was no signs of foul play. Last point. Dr. Sharp concluded the bones found were those of an indigenous male, about five feet, eight inches tall, robust in stature, and in their late 20s. What? (laughs) So who is this man? Isn't that a great question? We don't know. Why is he there? What happened to him? All great questions. And this is just where the mystery continues. So Dr. Sharp consulted Professor Grant of the Department of Anthropology at the University of Toronto, who was given no information about their remains. He was just simply asked to examine them. And he, uh, Dr. Sharp was like, just tell me this person's race, their height, their sex, their age, and when you think they died. So um, Professor Grant did that. And he concluded all of the exact same things that this person was buried for between 10 and 40 years. They remains were of an indigenous male. Here's how tall they were, five foot eight, and that there was no signs of foul play. Now, unfortunately, so far, the OPP has been unable to link the remains with any missing person. They haven't been able to find any record of a missing or deceased person with a condition requiring trephining. Trephining? Trephining? I'm not sure. Corporal Roger returned the remains to the grave and erected a grave marker. So the mysterious skeleton dug from an unmarked grave was not Tom Thompson. Yet, the group of men who had t- taken it upon themselves to dig up the remains and along with other interested people and parties in the area did not accept anything 
that Dr. Sharp and Professor Grant said. They still firmly believe that the four men found Tom Thompson's remains and maintain he was shot to death because of the hole in the skull. The only way to squash this theory would be by opening the grave in lathe. If the skeleton is there and there's no evidence of his death being attributable to gunfire, then the case ends. Tom Thompson's buried in lathe and there was no foul play. Mystery solved. There's exactly. Nothing. But there's nothing to warrant an order to exhume the remains for examination, plus Tom Thompson's family refuses. It's always possible that a descendant at some future date may grant permission to exhume Tom Thompson. By that point, it might be too late. And also, going back on when uh, Tom's brother gave the initial order to exhume him from Moat Cemetery at Canoe Lake, George, the brother, saw his body. It was put in the coffin. Uh, Winnie was at the train station when the coffin was sent off. Tom's father and a family friend received the body to the home, saw it, identified it, was comfortable with the fact that it was Tom, and buried him at the family plot. So those are all factors into why they don't want to exhume him. They've put him to rest, leave them alone. He was buried. They've confirmed it. And they don't want any of any part of this. But then that brings us to these unknown remains. And, and the skull with the three-quarter inch hole in it was the bone removed in a, tref a trephining surgery. Is there truly no evidence of foul play that was conducted? Who buried this man there? So many questions and no answers. There's, there's now this, this indigenous person that was just apparently laid to rest in this previous grave. And nobody has ever claimed them. It's very suspicious. It's so bizarre. And weird stuff used to happen back in the day with bodies and mm -hmm. and people like doctors experimenting and it's it's so weird, especially like I mean it, it at this time it's 1956. And I per like personally think it was impressive that the OPP did conduct their own little investigation and try to see who this person could be. They did conduct outreach they did see, reach out to people and be like, yo, is anyone missing a family member? We have um, a 20-something-year-old indigenous male. He's probably five foot eight, built well. Who's missing a family member? Because that's young, too. Mm -hmm. I know it's 1956, and they could have been buried since the late 1910s into the 1920s, but, like, still young. Yeah. And no one ever was like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's my brother or my cousin or whatever. Like, that could no. have been my dad or, yeah. No one ever came forward. And this cemetery, it's not like you, like when you picture a cemetery, you picture this huge plot. Yeah. This, this, this land with all of these plots. It's more of like a makeshift cemetery. Like in an old town that you drive through where they just have their old plots, I can imagine. Yeah. And it's like, even then, it's not like. You just drive through, right? It's it's on a lake. Yeah. It's on this this cliff, essentially. And there's only two other graves. The one, the poor guy, it's like 
was he a lumberjack or what was he? Like, they don't even know exactly what he was. But, like, he probably died either, like, vacationing there, doing work there. And then they just laid him to rest in this area. And then the, that kid that had died of uh, diphtheria, again, probably just in the area, laid him to rest mm-hmm. in a space. So it's not like a real cemetery. It's on a cliff in the middle of nowhere. It's kind of like a... It's very ax- eerie. Yeah, kind of like an accidentally passed through type of location. And there is... I didn't put this in my notes, but there was... um people's like accounts of indigenous people who travel through the area obviously it's algonquin park Mm -hmm. there's going to be tons of indigenous people up there but they have their own little like communities that they stick to and travel around whether it's like through the lakes canoeing and stuff um tons of locals and cottagers visitors whatever would see people pass through. So like, did an indigenous person meet some sort of foul play or accidental death on their way through, like passing through onto wherever they were going? And that happened to be the location they were put to rest. I could go for that if it weren't for the whole hole in the skull it's really hard to believe. It's also that something could have happened to someone accidentally. And even then, like, so someone accidentally loses their life or Wouldn't, whatever. Yeah. How did they know to go up on this? Wouldn't there be a doctor's rep- Like, it's so weird. It's very odd. It, and like, and, the, and literally it ends there. Like, nobody knows. No one came forward and claimed this person. There's so far there has been no... Uh, records of being able to find a match whether through like familial dna anything like that like this person is just a mystery and i mean i'm i'm really happy that the opp did take the remains back to this plot that was formerly tom thompson's and make it this man's and put a grave marker there it's a real burial site but it is still so bizarre because where did the rumors even start so did the person that start the rumor know that a random person was buried in this grave was it like an opportunity did these did the man who was buried there come from a family who didn't have the means to bury him elsewhere so like why waste a perfectly good coffin quote unquote and plot like all of it is just so bizarre and literally like we have no answers I wonder if it's still there, this little cemetery. It is, I think. Um, It's a little hard to get to leading up to the cemetery. um, There's a little, like, marker for Tom Thompson still that says, like, this is where he died, essentially. But I'm sure that if you tried hard enough, you could find it. I bet that local people (laughs) are probably like, yo... We could tell you're a tourist, get away from here. But I bet it's still there, especially since they marked it with a stone marker. And it's not like in 1917, if it was a temporary or crappy plot for a person, sometimes it's marked with a wooden cross or something like that. So by now, like over 100 years later, that would have rotted away. Yeah. But, but they had marked these graves with stone, so... I'm sure you could find it. 
but I'm not positive. It'd be cool to see for sure. So since we have no definitive answers as to who this poor indigenous person is that, I mean, first of all, it already sucks that we don't know exactly what happened to them. Then you have these entitled people who go and dig up someone's grave just to try and put the end to a rumor or a mystery. Like that part bothers me all in its own. It's a whole separate thing of like, who are you to be the guy that decides you're going to dig up someone's grave? Yeah. So like, that's a whole other thing. Like, I don't even think I have to elaborate on that. But um, the dude, Roy McGregor, who had wrote that one book where he speculated Shannon Fraser was the one to murder Tom. He did an interview with Tom's great grandniece and her name is Tracy Thompson. And he asked her, like, do you ever want to get to the bottom of this mystery with your great uncle? Do you want to know exactly what happened? Do you want to put this mystery to rest? And I like what she said. She said, quote, the mystery and the art are tied together. Without one, the other doesn't exist. Together, they've helped create the Tom Thompson ethos. And I hope that chatter never ends. End quote. Hmm. That is the, I don't know, crazy, bizarre, twisty, turny story of Tom Thompson. You have this mystery of a man that evolves into the mystery of another man and we have no definitive answers for either one we don't know exactly what happened to tom and then you have this other man that literally came out of nowhere and no one knows anything about at least we know who tom is have a history can build a narrative for him this other man is just left with no answers no story no one to claim him that's the wild story and it was a good one. Thank you. It's crazy, right? Right when you think like, okay, I can see where this is going. Wait, what? <laughs> and now we can look back on everything I told you. heard Tom's story. You've heard the speculations on his death, um, the investigation, quote unquote, investigation that happened afterward. Let's bring it back to his birth chart. Now that you have a bit more information about him and based on what you originally saw without all of this context, just dive right in. Talk about anything that uh, stood out to you kind of brings any sort of lighter answers to these placements aspects stuff like that something i said at the beginning was this mars saturn conjunction has a lot there a lot of potential and possibilities and i wasn't entirely sure all that it would hold mm -hmm. um but being to the two malefic planets there are a lot of negative implications and Something that's so fascinating about this is the connection that Saturn has, first of all, to agriculture and the fact that he's born into this family mm -hmm. that owns a farm. 
when you look at a chart, you can really see what someone was set up for and if they inherited things or or if it was harder for them financially that way. And the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction is an aspect that indicates hardship. Mm. Um, things don't come easy to that person. They have to work harder and smarter to be able to achieve what they want. And that's when I said they can feel like their luck is running out or it's not working for them at the time. They're not able to get things going. The pieces don't fall into the place at the right time. I think that's something Tom really struggled with. Do you think that um, outer influences could have been a factor as well? Like the fact that, I mean, World War I was raging. Absolutely. And he didn't receive prominence the way that he might have if there wasn't such like financial strictness and stuff like yeah. that and uh, being recognized because people didn't have money to attend the exhibits, purchase his art, give him recognition. Yeah. Um, stuff like that. Probably weighed really heavily on him and him not fulfilling that role at the time of what was expected of a man to go to war mm -hmm. and to be willing to give your life. And the way that people would look down on him and theorize about why he didn't want to, is it because he's selfish? Is it because, you know, what are the reasons? And, you know, that Mars retrograde speaks through there, I think, with his decision not to go to war and not to fight mm -hmm. and not to take that step and do what was normal at the time in society, which comes back to that sense I picked up in his chart of him not fitting in not doing what was expected of him like a status quo yeah, type it, it weighed on him for and sure that was a burden the thing that i find really interesting is that his mars was stationed retrograde yeah and how mars like you said is kind of a darker uh has a darker tone and symbolizes like war and stuff like that and because it's stationed retrograde it's kind of crazy to me that even if he did want to go to war, which the, the speculation out there is either he did or didn't, there's no um, affirmation, but let's say he did and he really wanted to and he kept getting turned down, which is like a, 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 just a wild thing to think of. You have this strong Mars influence. It's retrograde. You want to go to war. You can't. You're turned well, down. And Saturn is that influence. The outer influence, um, it represents, actually Saturn rules the military, which is interesting. Oh, wow. Um, and higher powers um, who are in charge of things like that. It rules government as well. Mm -hmm. So there is a, a possibility there. There's, there's conflicts there for sure. Whenever you have a planet in conjunction, those planets are fighting for dominance with each other. The two malefics to have those beside each other trying to share a space. Mm -hmm. It's a lot internally for him. And the Saturn presence, people with heavy Saturn always have people around them who are, who weigh on them and who they feel burdened by at times because of what's expected of them or um, them not being able to fulfill certain tasks. Um, there's and, a lot of karma there. And then that's what you just said speaks to how he has this group. It's a group of artists. They look mm -hmm. to him for influence and partnership. You have a group of people who are his family. They look to him to uh, work on the farm, mm -hmm. uh, be a 
role model to their other siblings, stuff like that. And then you have his love life. You have a woman, Winnie, who is potentially pushing him for marriage. Yeah, and a huge thing here is Saturn, um, people who don't have children often have a very strong Saturns as well. Mm. Um, people who are not able to, it rules over infertility, over barrenness, over um, being widowed, things like that, mm. and isolated alone, never finding your love. That was a trial for him mm-hmm. as well. Yes. Um, that There's so much to unpack with that placement there. I really think it was really heavily influenced in his chart, like in a in a spot. For sure. That was open and susceptible. He really dealt with that. I wouldn't be surprised if one of them are his chart rulers and that it was a driving force in his life. For sure. He had that first girlfriend he proposed to who rejected him. He got another girlfriend when he went to Toronto and she had to leave, uh, go and take care of her nieces and nephews and that hurt him. Mm -hmm. And then he had this uh, Winifred lady who he didn't see all the time. He mostly saw when he just went back up to Mm -hmm. Algonquin who was pushing him for marriage. And then if, obviously this is speculation, like it's never been truly confirmed. Winifred hasn't ever really come out and spoken much about it. But let's say it is truth. You have a, a woman who's pushing for almost a selfish agenda on her own part. She's getting quote unquote older she's only 32 but i mean maybe in 1917 that was old to not be married she didn't want to be a spinster maybe if the rumors are true that she was pregnant and maybe it was tom's maybe it wasn't who knows but like to have that influence on you of you have to marry me for it's a huge leap in its own it's a huge commitment in its own And then to have the pressures of it also being a selfish initiative from the other person's Mm -hmm. part. He definitely had commitment issues. Mm -hmm. And again, it comes back to Saturn. Saturn is commitment. It's the ability to put anything in for the long term. Saturn is speaks to the ability to build something and make something. So why do you think um, if you have any speculation or anything on why? If he potentially had a strong Saturn influence, which makes the commitment hard, why do you think he kept returning, pursuing, pushing his art and didn't abandon that the way he abandoned women, his jobs, people? I think that the art was, he still was hard on himself, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Um, He didn't really believe in himself. That is, again, Saturn coming through, the constant self-doubt, the voice that tells you you're not good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he had other strong placements. And- I think that with that Neptune influence and his Venus influence and how imaginative he was, mm-hmm. he had to find a way to cope. And I think that whenever you have trials in life and loss and you're not able to find your footing... A lot of people turn to things. Um, and I think it's interesting you mentioned he did drink. Mm-hmm. Um, with his Neptune influences, Neptune, it's the only influence on his son that you can really see. Um, and that is something that he struggled with. Yes. And often people who struggle things like with things like that are very creative. People who turn to things. It sort of diminishes it. Yeah. And... 
I think that he had trouble being constant with anything. Um, and even with his art, he got a start late in life. He wasn't doing what he wanted to still, um, but he kept trying and he kept circling back to it and thinking, well, this will work for me. And I, I think he had a really hard time really doing anything consistently, which is why he had to go up north or go to Algonquin and, and fish and do something else and get that time and then go back to doing another thing. And the art, I think, was something that was maybe healing for him. Maybe, mm -hmm. maybe one of the only things that made him feel really good about himself, mm -hmm. um, being so connected to Venus, it brought him something. He was able to get something from that that he wasn't able to with with people in his interactions in the real world he wasn't you know successful at a job that he he didn't really feel that way about himself it seems and I think that the depression and the loneliness and the questions that he had I think he really struggled with his identity and with his sexuality maybe even in ways that you know like mm -hmm. with wondering why haven't I figured this out why haven't I I'm, why aren't I enough of a man or why aren't I, you know, feeling emasculated yeah. and being such a sensitive soul and spending most of his time with these other artists in the, mm -hmm. in Toronto who, who moved yeah. on, who decided this isn't working. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go get a career this way. I'm mm -hmm. going to go get married instead. I'm going to move out of province to further my artistic skill set, stuff like that. And he, kept doing the same thing yeah I um on that note though have a, a really cool point that might give you something else to speculate on mm -hmm. so the the book I was quoting from is called the real mystery of Tom Thompson it was written by Richard Weiser and in it there's kind of this running um a running plot line let's say where he's trying to understand why Tom Thompson kept returning to Algonquin Park mm -hmm. in a life where he couldn't commit himself to anything. He couldn't settle down anywhere. He couldn't find comfort or happiness anywhere. For some reason, for the majority of the year, he returned for, I think, five years in a row to Algonquin Park. And if we go back to the beginning of um, the story, his uncle William helped establish Algonquin Park and Uncle William was his biggest influence and mentor he influenced Tim like I said spiritually philosophically and artistically and then he died and it left a huge hole in Tom so Richard Weiser sort of speculates that maybe Algonquin Park was much more than just a source of artistic inspiration it was a place where he could essentially channel his muse, mm -hmm. his Uncle William, go there, attribute his work to William, sort of dedicate a passion that was in helped instilled permanently in him by this man that was so important to him, that taught him so much about nature and life, connecting spirituality with his art. And he returned there year after year to maybe channel that which um, I think is really cool. I think that's an amazing parallel that Richard Weiser drew 
that's a really good point i really like that um so just kind of like i said goes hand in hand with what you're saying about how he's a man who obviously had commitment issues yet he he returns to this place year after year like Mm -hmm. he's searching for something and you know, Saturn, another thing I think I mentioned at one point, um, it rules over fishing and seafarers and, and trades like that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, trades of the water. Um, and he loved to fish. It was a place that he found peace and comfort. And he was okay with being alone there, I think. Oh, yeah. By the water. He fishing. It opted seems like to be alone. If like the people he were with got too rowdy or mm-hmm. whatever, he'd be like. I think it's so interesting he had such a strong influence with the Saturn-Mars conjunction Mm -hmm. and the fishing and the fact that he died fishing Mm -hmm. in this weird, mysterious way. And you have the two malefic planets ruling over violence and and fishing, as odd as it is. Yep. Um, Oh, and many other things. But the fact that they are so close together and... Forming a, you know, the square with his Jupiter, people like that, you know, when you evaluate someone's Saturn and Jupiter, you can really evaluate um, how things pull through for them in a, in a dark situation. Jupiter is a blessing. Jupiter is, the, you know, an angel that will come to save you in a dark time. Okay. People with Jupiter oh. afflictions struggle with that. That's, what that's why Jupiter is connected to luck. Do you have good luck or bad luck? So someone with a negative you know, a negatively impacted Jupiter struggles with that. Could it also be like uh, coping mechanisms? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, There can be not knowing when to say no, when enough is enough. Um, When not thinking practically, Mm -hmm. like really, you know, what's rational, blowing things out of proportion. Um, Kind of that speaks to his misplaced reactions yeah. to certain things. And like, I, I don't think he expressed it normally. I think that yeah. he kept it in and that Pisces energy that he had yes. in, with that Mars. And he he wallowed with it. The way he was rejected for marriage and yeah. he abandoned everything and returned home. You, the way yeah. that his colleagues when he first moved to Toronto were like, oh, this guy, he is so unreasonable. Why is he despondent? moping? Oh, he's morose. And it's like, maybe it just came off the wrong way because he didn't cope well, express well. Yeah. Came off to people who also, you got to think about other people. What are their placements like? What kind of people are they? Maybe you just don't vibe well. Exactly. You take it the wrong way or take it to mean something different. Also, the fact that, yeah, Tom clearly didn't express certain things well or cope well. Yeah. And I think he would have have misplaced anger and need to express that somehow. And maybe that's why he went back to his art. And that was something that he would circle back to was. For sure. Plus you know, trying to deal with. With whatever he felt inside, you and know, how and he could have had something going on that no one knows about back in the day. No mm-hmm. one knew about mental, you know, afflictions that people could deal with. Um, I understand why people would speculate suicide when you look at things and hear about his behavior at times. I mean, there's not those clear cut signs with people where they talk about it Mm -hmm. or, you know, but with his mindset, I guess him being a bit of a 
you know, a dark person. Exactly. Of course, back then, too, people are going to say that about someone who's different. They're going to assume suicide. Um, I do notice he, he does have Mercury square Pluto, which is an aspect that produces dark thoughts, mm. as Pluto is, again, a malefic planet. Yeah. Um, very overbearing. Isn't Pluto kind of like a gatekeeper? Yeah, like- the gatekeeper to in modern other astrology and stuff like that mm-hmm. very open but very susceptible mm-hmm. to things out of your control to unpleasant things violent things it's a higher octave of mars as i mentioned before judy yes. hall has said so um, and then if we are looking at mars and you had said that, uh, initially when you first saw this chart that mars could have been an undoing in a way mm-hmm. and if we look at it health-wise and how mars has so much war yeah and darkness and undoing in a way of like this man apparently wanted to enlist he did attempt multiple times couldn't i think yeah we're going on that dark path of was it suicide i mean who knows maybe this aspect was contributing to that undoing he couldn't enlist and he wanted to maybe and it's interesting he died in the water and has like water mars and saturn Mm mm-hmm with such strong placements. And then you had, um, you just mentioned Mercury. It was the Mercury mm-hmm. with Pluto. Mm-hmm. Uh, originally, when you were looking at his chart, you mentioned Mercury conjunct the south node. Yes. And Mercury, you said, represents like, well, multi- well so many things, but also like working with the hands and stuff. Yep. And how he was a, he loved fishing. He made lures. Mm-hmm. He painted. He did apprenticeships, um, all of these things that he loved and tried to build a path in his life with involved his hands. And then you also mentioned that Mercury um, rules over small vessels, Mm -hmm. which is really cool. Um, Such a random thing. But canoes is a small vessel. Yeah. And it was something so particular, specific, important to Tom. They got him from point A to B when he was up north, whether it was because he was fire ranging, he was doing guided fishing tours, or because he was sketching. Mm-hmm. It's this little vessel that was essentially attached to him in every aspect of life, whether it was because he was trying to make money or because he was trying to make art. Mm-hmm. He was in a canoe, which is that small little vessel ruled by Mercury, which has such a important placement for him. Yeah. And they say, um, like I should say, I've read that the South Node being connected to our past lives, our past self, skills that we have that we can use to build on and reach mm-hmm. our soul potential. Um with Mercury there, sometimes with a planet there, that person has habits that are really hard to break that they always go back to. And that could come back to him returning to Algonquin Park again to do that, to go there, get on his canoe, and do his thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, something that I noted when we were talking about, you know, this double whammy mystery. And yeah. how it was unfolding um, and you know, the no one's being connected to the soul and your purpose and what someone feels their, you know, their destiny is here, the mark they should leave. I think that it's 
it says something that Mercury is this planet that is responsible for problem solving and, you know, breaking things down and digesting them and understanding them. And he has left a mystery that no one is able to really do that with. Yeah. No one is able to understand these questions and and get an answer. Yes, he is attributed to this, like you said, double whammy yeah. mystery. This it's the ethos. biggest mark he left is this mystery, these yeah. questions yeah. that he's left behind. And it's very, very weird. It's very cool, though. It's um, and a very interesting chart in, that has impacted, obviously, so many people trying to figure out mm-hmm. what the heck I think people here. see themselves in him too oh for you know, sure a lost you know and a lost artist mm-hmm. who just wants to express themselves and and get their footing in life and hasn't been able to really get it right in some ways but you know is looked up to and people see the potential in them they don't quite see it in themselves and yeah the crazy part about that is like I think that he did get it right. It's yeah. that he had yeah. all of these outside hindrances. Mm-hmm. He had the war, his location, his like if he were in a family, different time, all of these different things. Not that anybody was the one major downfall. No one was a downfall for him. Mm. It's just this collective and I personally think the war really, really hindered him. Mm-hmm. Especially if you look back on his life and art, he was getting exhibits. He was getting art purchased by big players, even the government, stuff like that. He was being recognized in a time where people were strapped for cash, strapped for the time to travel to these places, go to an exhibit. The exhibits themselves didn't have funds to advertise. And he still managed to at least receive a very minimal platform of prominence. Mm-hmm. And I think he was doing it right, even with all of his own personal demons or whatever you want to call them. And I think that he just, like you said, the time wasn't right. And it's sad for Tom and how he didn't get to see this huge influence that he's had. Mm -hmm. And how people today, clearly, hi, are talking about it, about him, about the impact he had, the mystery he left behind. And... It's just so crazy. It's so crazy. And I mean, let's not forget about this other poor man who's just now left in the Moat Cemetery. It's so, so. Whose family member is he? Someone come forward. Claim your man. (laughs) It drives me nuts when that happens, when you hear about missing persons cases and Jane Doe, John Doe's. And no one ever comes forward and they have family out there. How, How does that happen? I don't know. And that in that in itself is a frustrating part of this whole mystery. You just want the I, answers. You know there's reasons. There must be a set of circumstances that explain. And this. exactly. <laughs> how and how did this little weird little rumor 
happen? Why would this rumor happen? Who on earth decided that Tom's body was never removed? Is it because you knew there was a body in there? Why did all of a sudden this become a rumor? Because it's so bizarre. Like, that's not a common thing. Like, yeah, you know, that guy, he he moved on. He's not with us anymore. But uh, they never moved his body. That's not a common thing. People aren't like, yeah, but they never even moved him like they said they did. Why would that be a thing? Why would that be something you focus on? There were people going and looking for him. Like, unless you knew that that grave was still occupied. It's so bizarre. It's so bizarre. So, um, what do you think? What do you think is what happened to Tom? That's a good question. Do you think, do you believe these wild murder theories that Martin Bletcher or Shannon Fraser killed him if it weren't for mark robinson who said i saw him i didn't see like and then but he wouldn't have seen him if it's true Mm -hmm. i would really question it and i do think it's possible but i think it's odd that he would see him if he if he didn't how do you confuse that or or the times wrong and this person what was her name who recounted the daphne daphne crombie is she wrong about the time and it it didn't happen when he said maybe it happened the next day and it wasn't at this party or mm-hmm. yep. maybe neither of those are true and something else happened. That's why I was sure to say that when Mark Robinson said he saw him, Tom, it was from a quarter mile distance and yeah. he didn't speak to him that like, day. Was he wrong? So maybe it wasn't Tom. Maybe it was somebody else. But like you said, that is the absolute hindrance in this theory yeah. because it wasn't the, the lodge wasn't packed there wasn't people everywhere there wasn't all these guests you couldn't account for it was dead so i would love to know spur time to look at his descendant <laughs> yeah the point of the sunrise so you can see because the sunrise is associated with death and the light going out mm-hmm. the light of someone's life so when you look at that you I would love to be able to see that and analyze that closely. Um, I'm with you for... I can see it being a horrible, twisted accident. Me too. That happened to him and the circumstances and his character led this to, to be more than it is. But there's also always that possibility that Someone out there knows something. Okay, David Ridgen. <laughs> Someone come forward. <laughs> you know, there's there's a possibility that this tale that Daphne told has some truth to it. Yeah. It's a weird, twisted version of events told years later. And it's not fully accurate or 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 we don't know everything. Exactly. And it there's so many could, possibilities there. It could be that she believes wholeheartedly she's telling the right version mm-hmm. the right order of detail and accounts but maybe some things are a little confused uh mixed up whatever and i absolutely agree with you i always thought tom was murdered that it was foul play and then when i was researching it and i find that the park ranger mark robinson's log shows he spotted shannon fraser and tom thompson together 
preparing to go and look for that trout. <laughs> that was like their little game they played. I was like, that can't be. Because if Daphne's account is true, Tom's dead already. Mm-hmm. And that does throw a wrench in it completely. Something else could have transpired that day. Or it's not them. even Tom that was seen. Yeah. And it's so it's so wild because each theory holds weight. Astrologically, you see, he was so influenced by external forces mm-hmm. with the Saturn influence. Um, since Saturn is an outer planet, it's not fully personal. It requires other people to function. Um, when it's tied to Mars, it was very hard for him to function without other people, mm-hmm. which was hard since he wanted to be alone. I was just going to say, he wanted. that must and have been. And how did he, the confliction, the struggle every day. Yep. To just know what you're to do sometimes. It would be its whole own inner conflict of leave me alone, but don't go far. Yeah. <laughs> like cat, give me attention, but don't touch me. <laughs> Only when I want. Yeah. And, and I can totally see that like. conflict. Is there any other um, cool things you picked up on? Key aspects you're seeing now by having stared at his chart well, forever? I think it's interesting that we don't know anything about his mom. Oh, yeah. His mom seems to be like an unknown, another mystery here. Yeah, we don't. Who is his mom? What did she do? What was she like? How did she influence his life? And... We don't know his birth time, so we don't know his moon sign. Is it Gemini? Is it Cancer? Was he born after 8 p.m.? And he mm-hmm. does have moon and Cancer. We don't know. And I, I, I'm inclined to think that he has moon and Gemini just... Me too. Based on... The tobacco. It, <laughs> like, and he's withdrawn. Yes. If he's more withdrawn... Uh, very introverted. It seems more of an air... Like he would have an air moon mm-hmm. that is more mercury than a, a moon and rulership in Cancer that he would have. I, but I could be wrong, right? We don't know. And it's the moon um, speaks to your mother. And we don't know anything about his mom. We don't know his, you know, his moon sign to even look into or get an idea of how his mom influenced him at all. I think that's weird. I do too. And it bothers me because the moon is so personal to you. It really shows someone's state of, you know, state of self how they feel about things. Exactly. And, and we don't have um, any no. major key feminine energy role models, no key players, anything like that. His Venus is the most, you know, his Pisces, Mars, and Saturn are feminine, being in feminine <clears throat> water signs. Um, That's what I was going to say is that I am with you where I tend to lean more to him being a Gemini moon with that air. Because that out the outer influences of his water, mm-hmm. like how he has that strong Pisces and stuff, I think is almost like enough for how like his sensitivities, yeah. his um, reactions to things, coping to things. I think it makes more sense that he has this air moon to kind of hold him above those. Um, sensitivities, mm-hmm. those very moody kind of wishy-washy ways. Yeah, I feel like that Gemini moon kind of pulls him above it a bit and kind of keeps him a little elevated as to not get completely swept away. Yeah. So I'm with you. I, that 
that made sense, I think he is. A, I feel he's Gemini Moon. Yeah. Um, but again, total speculation. We don't know. We I don't th- have I a think time. So, and also, mutable people have a really hard time settling down in life, <laughs> and he did. You yes. know, with his careers, with his everything. Yeah, he really had a hard time. You know, he's definitely not fixed. You know, he has the Leo sun, but... And with Mercury, there's still the question, too, of what sign it's in. If he is Mercury in Virgo or Leo. Um, Yeah, and how how, um, different Mm -hmm. they are in the ways that they could sort of influence and push you. Yeah. Again, the the fun of this is that total speculation. We don't know. We have no idea. That's why we break it down. We look at the chart. We talk about his life. The possibilities. Let's make sense of it. Also, I don't think that he was uh, trying to pee off his canoe and fell. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. This just is a... How would you know that? That's so stupid. I'm sorry, David Silcox, but that's stupid. Stupid theory. So that's so... Do you think it was an accident then? I think so. I think it was a very unfortunate accident. I'm with you. I think it was a very Um, unfortunate accident. I think he died doing what he loved. Me too. Which is the positive from it. And he left his mark. He did. But yeah, I think it was an unfortunate accident. He probably went out that day thinking about the sketch that he was doing and going to do. I forgot to tell you that day was shit. It was raining. Mm. Uh, cloudy, a gross day, and a uh, a kind of snap of the fingers deci- decision of, you know what? I'm gonna get out there. I'm gonna look for that trout that him and Mark Robinson had their weird little bet going. Yeah, and uh, on a whim, he just was like, "Bye, I'm going out there." Could have been bad weather. Knocked him off. He's up there. He's hitting the sauce. He doesn't have people to take out on those fishing tours. Maybe he just got way too comfy on a crappy day and things can happen yeah out on the lake especially um think about that thing you told me about orlando where he was out on the lake and that like essentially squall just yeah. like happened out of nowhere and he was like hauling ass to yep, get to shore to get out of there because it was on their heels and it happens like that yeah so you don't know i'm with you i think it was an accident yeah, if you wait too long it happens. People think that I just catch up to you. Yeah. You think I can I'm an expert. I can Or it's not that bad for a second. It'll just it'll be gone yeah. like that. Yeah. Maybe he did get too comfy and something like that happened. Yeah. As for the fishing line, I don't know if that's even true. If it was, I have no explanation for that. But the his the injury on his head could be from the accident. It could have been really windy. He could have tried to get his things and... Yeah, if he's sketching, maybe he's like yeah. trying to collect himself. And maybe going everywhere. he ended up falling somehow. I'm with you. Maybe something got wrapped around his leg. I love all of the cool, weird theories, but I think it was a sad accident. Yeah. There you have it. My special guest, Steph. Did her amazing astrological breakdown. First astrology collaboration. And there will be many more to come. It is so fascinating. 
I love it, especially on these old timey cases where you don't have full information and everything. Then you can kind of like fill in the holes and everything on your own. Mm-hmm. I thank you so much for taking the time to come on this episode, break it down. Thanks for having me on. I'm honored that you would think of me and want me to join. Of and course. Be part of this. It's been so fun. You're my best friend. You are my soul sister. That's I right. I think it would be amazing to have Connor and Julia contribute somehow. Connor, Connor, you listening? You're going to make some music for my podcast, okay? Julia? Hey, Julia. Hi, I see you. You're going to make some art, okay? Yeah, I had a great time. I'm so happy to everybody that s- stuck around, listened to both parts, heard all of the crazy theories, dove into his birth chart with us. Make sure you check out our website, darkadaptationpodcast.ca. Put a lot of work into it. Check it out. Buy us a coffee if you want. Follow us on Instagram, Dark Adaptation Podcast. And until next time, we will catch you on the dark side. So they did absolutely balance each other and give a lot to one another. Uh. <laughs> cut that, cut that, cut that, cut that. <laughs> Got really worked up about naturalism. <laughs> I told you so much. I gave you so many names. <laughs> I went through like Tom's whole life. It's so hard to keep. When you're listening to a podcast, you can keep it straight. But when you're being told the story live with the podcast and I... For some reason, it's harder. (laughs) And I've always wondered why when people are like, wait, what year did you say? And I'm like, how don't you know you're interacting? (laughs) How don't you know you're in front of them? Idiot. That's why. Mm -hmm. The absorption. Yeah, plus I eventually, like, mm, the plan is here to ask you, hey, now that you heard the whole story... Let's bring it back. First yeah. chart. Did. Do you gather? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, insert elevator music here. We'll be right back. Do, 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 do. So it could have easily just been like, bye. That's interesting. Huh. Did you pause it? And save it.